the point. Six weeks long, that is. Uh, so glad that you're here. Quick to the point has been such a cool series for me. Um, this is probably a series that I, I think I put more thought and time into than, than most any other series because we wrote a little book. Uh, we were doing DVD curriculum for all the small groups, not to mention the messages and all that stuff. And so it's been really, really cool. I feel like I know the book of James more now than I ever have in my life. That's for certain. And so what an incredible journey. If, you, if you're just catching up with us or maybe you've missed most of the weeks or a few of the weeks, let me tell you about the book of James in brief real quick here. James is the most practical book of the New Testament. When you, so if you think about these messages, you're like, wow, these sermons have been really simple. That's because James is simple. James is not trying to be uber deep and mysterious. He's trying to be in your face, blunt, practical, right there where the rubber meets the road. And so we've been doing everything about, you know, trials. Everybody experiences trials. That's, that's not like a, the occasional person. No, everybody does that. He talks about temptation. Everybody deals with that. He talks about the tongue, the power of the tongue. Everybody deals. So faith. He gets into all these practical subjects and then tells you how to practically live them out. And so we are in the final week. And I'm going to tell you this as we begin to set up here. I think James closes what to him is the most important thing he can possibly talk to you about. So you picked a good week to be at church and not to miss. I think when you're going to see what he closes with, these are the last few verses of the entire sermon and of the entire book of James. And what you're going to see is this, is actually, even though he closes with this thought, he's been lacing it through. Because I'm going to go back at the end and I'm going to show you through almost every chapter, he was lacing this idea into everything he possibly talked about. And this is a subject that, that you and I are very, very familiar with, but we usually stink at. This is something that we know we ought to do, but we typically don't do very often. Or we, we, we know we should, but we're not even sure that we're very good at it. And it's the issue and the subject of prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but like uh, I've been around Christians for a long time now. I got saved back when I was about 17 years old. And so I've been around Christians a long time. And, and the thing about Christians is this, is we are all about prayer in terms of telling other people to do it. Not always the best ourselves at doing it. And I don't know if you've ever had this before, but have you ever been going through a difficult season of life, had a bad situation, a bad set of circumstances, something terrible comes up, and you start talking to a Christian and they say, you know what you should do? You should pray about that. Right? Isn't that what they say? And sometimes you want to slap them in the face. You, want to just, you pray about that. I'll give you something to pray for. Anyway, you, you know, you're like, if, if, if and, and we've talked about this in the past that many times as Christians, we can make a, um, a problem for ourselves by assuming that prayer is always the answer to everything. And sometimes prayer is not the answer to everything. Sometimes there's different answers. But let me say this. Prayer is the answer to most things. And prayer can be incredibly powerful. And over these next few verses, I'm telling you, James uses the idea of prayer seven different times in these next few scriptures. He just says, you got this, pray. You got this, pray. You got this, tell other people to pray. Do this and then pray some more. And he just, he just land blasts you with the idea that prayer can be so powerful. Prayer can be so important. And here's why. Whatever it is that God can do, Prayer can do because prayer is your conduit. Does that make sense? Like if, if, if God can do it, then prayer can do it. Are you with me? Not, not only, let me rephrase it like this. Nothing stands outside of the power of prayer except that which stands outside of the will of God. So if it's even remotely, even close to inside the will of God, you know what you should be doing? Praying for it, believing for it, asking God for it. And so James even not only is, is, is preaching about the idea of prayer, this guy historically backed it up. He had a nickname. He had two of them, as a matter of fact. One of them was James the Just. 
But his other nickname was Camel Knees. And the reason why they gave him that nickname is because he had knots on his knees from how much time he spent on his knees in prayer. And so this man doesn't just talk a good game, the man walks the walk. And so let's look at these closing verses to this kind of part six, this final part to our series, and this final part to the book of James. If you got your Bible, James chapter five, verse 13, read along with me. The Bible says, if there's anyone among you who's in trouble, let him what? Pray. If anyone is happy, let him sing songs of praise. If anyone is among you that is sick, let them call to the elders of the church and let them do what? Pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of offered in faith will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and do what? And pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Yeah, James, I'm telling you, it's laced, it's laced throughout this whole book. You didn't see it. He was salt and pepper in you. He was massaging it. He was warming you up to drop this last bomb on you. And it's the idea of prayer and that your prayers are important, that your prayers activate God's access into your life. It is, in essence, your way of connecting heaven to earth. And many of us need more heaven in our earth. And the reason why we don't have it is because our prayer life is a little bit sluggish. And so listen to what he says. I want you to see that there are a few different times when you should definitely and always pray. Number one is this. When should you pray? You should pray when you're hurting emotionally. Isn't that what he says? He comes out of the gate and says, if anyone among you is in trouble... Let him pray. As a matter of fact, the word trouble literally means to suffer misfortune or to be in distress. Now, I don't know about you, but that's life, right? To go through seasons and to be stressed, to be anxious, to be worked up, to have trouble, to have problems. It could be financial problems. It could be relational problems. It could be car problems. It could be any kind of problem you could think about that creates stress in your life. And he says, whenever you are feeling the stress of life, pray. Like that's the greatest solution and the greatest answer. And here's why this is so important is prayer does a few different things beyond just kind of the idea of connecting heaven and earth. I want you to know this, that in your prayer, you find because if you're if you're suffering emotionally, where do you find healing for that? You only find healing for the wounds of your soul in the presence of God. Some of you carry around emotional baggage. I was talking to a woman just the other day. She had a, a childhood incident that had carried with her and then just recently had had somebody kind of like bring that back up again. You ever had that happen before? Something that you thought you were over. I thought I was beyond that. I thought I'd grown up. I thought I was more mature than that. Why do those wounds, that was the question, why do those wounds seem to come back up? It's like a, it's like a bruise. That never fully heals and all of a sudden you have a new life experience that reminds you of an old life experience and all of a sudden somebody just pokes the bruise. When we need emotional healing, where else do you find that but only in the presence of God? Some of you have wounds from your past. Stuff people did to you, stuff people said about you, stuff that people neglected to do for you. And so you carry these emotional wounds. Like some of you walk around with these, these kind of fears of rejection. These fears of abandonment. Well, so-and-so abandoned me when I was a little girl or I was a little boy. And now I'm always afraid that they're going to leave. And so what happens is with these emotional baggage issues, we end up carrying them through life. And then sometimes, worst case scenario, we project them on those closest to us. 
Which is fascinating for those of you who have an issue with abandonment. Because the problem with abandonment is you get real clingy. And then nobody likes being around people that are real clingy. And so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because you don't want to be... And then, then they leave and you're like, ah! Where do you find healing for your soul? Yeah, people have done you wrong. Absolutely. And God wants to heal you and make you whole. And where does it happen? In the presence of God is where it happens. In that moment of prayer. When I talk about prayer, let me be clear here. I'm, ta- I'm not talking about like uh, a quick thought comes to your mind while you're driving down the road. Like, oh, Lord Jesus, I need some of that. And then you just move on. I'm talking about something a little bit deeper. Now, I want you to always pray and always have those moments. And that's totally fine. But I'm talking about more of a moment. A conscious, dedicated, carved out moment of time. Where it is you alone talking to God. That's what I'm mainly talking about today. Now there's types of prayer that go beyond that. There's group prayer and you know, prayer as you go and prayer as you live through life. Because the Bible says you ought to pray continually. Well, you can't always have a silent alone moment. So that's not the, the, this type of prayer that I'm talking about today though. Is that conscious, dedicated, carved out moment of time between you and God. And when you can find that, I'm telling you, you find healing for your soul. Think about this. Think about the idea that, that God wants to know you. Beyond knowing the facts and the details about you. Like, I don't know if you know this or not, but God, in all of his godness and all of his divinity, has this attribute where he knows all things. Are you with me? So does God already know everything about you? So does he ever know every moment, every incident, every historical moment? Does he know every thought that you have? That's scary. Whew, sheesh. I wish he didn't. So when God says, I want to know you, that must mean something beyond having all the facts and the details of your information. Does that make sense? Like he needs to know more than just your social security number and blood type. He needs to know more than that. And when God wants to know you, what he's saying is this. He's saying, I want you to open up your heart to me, open up, therefore, your mouth to me and just tell me things. Because I want to be known by you. And when you do that, here's the other thing that comes in with emotional help here. Being known by God and knowing God is where you find the absolute most powerful security of your life. Do you ever wonder why people are so insecure and where do we get those from and why am I insecure? Why did I feel that way? Why did I react that way? Why did I get so hurt or, or so sensitive or so defensive? or where, where did all that come from? An insecurity is an emotional deficiency that you have that God has not filled or healed. It's that simple. But when you spend time in the presence of God and you know God and are known by God, you walk around with the utmost of confidence. Why? Because I know who I am. I know whose I am. I know who is always with me. And when I walk around like that, it's like I walk around 10 feet tall and bulletproof. Now, some of you find that at the bottom of a bottle and that lasts for only a short period of time. But I'm talking about lasting confidence and security because you know God and you are known by God. You want some emotional help? You want some emotional strength? I'm telling you, it's, it's not in Dr. Phil. It's in Jesus. Are you with me this morning? So James says, when you have trouble in your soul, you should pray. Number two is this, uh, when should I pray? I should pray when I'm happy. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that I'm like this, and I think we're all in the same boat. Uh, when we're in trouble, we're pretty down for prayer, right? It's bad. It's all bad. It's hitting the fan and the floor. It's everywhere. It's bad. And we pray because we, we want God to take care of and fix and heal and mend and do what he does. And we know that when we need God, we pray. But then when everything's going pretty good, we're like, Shh, 
I got this. <laughs> and we just walk through life blissfully happy, happy because of God blessing us, but we totally forget the one who blessed us. We forget the one who has made life peaceful. We forget the one who has brought us to this place of contentment. And so what James says is don't forget the idea that when you're happy, that's when you should pray. And he, even, he doesn't even use the word prayer. He used the word praise. He used the idea that you should be able to like, God, I thank you. God, I bless you. You should be able to sing songs. And here's what all psychology has proven lately. The Bible has been around a long time. Psychology is being able to prove and catch up to what the Bible has been saying a long time. When you're happy, you sing. That's what, that's what people that just walk around singing, they're like, oh, they're just happy people. Happy people sing. Here, that's just what you need to know. Well, what makes you happy? God and all that he has done for your life is what really has brought you to a place of happiness. And you know what you ought to do about that? You should sing about it. You should have praise. You should have a song in your heart. And that's the reflection of happiness. Will we all agree to that? That happiness, that happy people to sing. Now, I'm going to tell you something powerful here. Not only is singing and praise and worship a reflection of happiness, that singing to God can be a generator of happiness. Here's what I mean by that. Do you know that you can actually kind of sing your way and praise your way into happiness? You can. I guarantee you this. The next time you're going through a hard time and you go back, go back to when you're in trouble, pray. Start singing. Start putting on some worship music. Start putting on some praise music. And sing about the goodness of God and the greatness of God. You know what happens is this. Is, is that something very spiritual happens and that you take your eyes and your fears off of the thing that you're so worked up about. And you're just thinking about God. And then by doing that, you realize that my problems really pale in comparison to the greatness of God. And all of a sudden, you start having these shifts in your heart. But there's something even very, very practical about this. I told you that science is... Is starting to prove the Bible just because science is catching up. You know, all throughout the Bible, do you know there's 550 times where the Bible says give praise to God? That's a lot. That might be something we want to tap into. Why would God say to do that over and over and over again? It's because, again, people who praise get themselves and generate a certain level of happiness or peacefulness or contentness or joy, contentness, contentment or joy in their life. It's just the way it happens. As a matter of fact, there's this recent study I watched. It was probably a year ago. It was a TED Talk. And this woman, a scientist, came out. And what she wanted to do was she knew that body language reflected your mood. We all agree with that, right? When you're in a bad mood, you're like, happy. You know, and you, you, know, you, you know that's true. What they wanted to determine was this. Is can body language, if you kind of force your body into certain positions and body postures and whatever, can your body actually dictate your mood, not just the other way around? And you know what the answer to the question was? Yeah. They did all these studies about people who, who when they were happy or when they were victorious, do you know what the international sign for victory is? It's your hands being raised into the air. Like every country, every nationality, different generations, they've got photography and pictures and paintings. When every people win, they lift their hands up in the air. Do you know that this is true of blind children when they do something great of great accomplishment? And blind children have never seen it done. So it is not some type of modeled behavior. It is something that we as human beings naturally do. This is the posture of victory. So this is what they did in the scientific experiment. What they did was they had people go in and do interviews. And it was a very tough interview. It was something that they actually, they didn't tell them, but this was a staged interview. It wasn't real. And they were going to grill the heck out of them. And so they took half of the people and they said, we want you to just to kind of, you know, or I'm sorry, not half. They took a third of the people said, just go be normal and take the thing. They took a third of them and said, we want you to go in and we want you to, and they put them in kind of mopey, depressed body languages. 
Let's see how you do. And then they took other people and had them get into what they called postures of victory. And one of them was the one with their arms lifted. The other one they called Superman pose. And so, and so literally, the people that put themselves into just a positive body language just for five minutes before they went and did the interview did so much better in the interview. And what they realized was is that by putting yourself into a body posture of confidence or happiness or victory, actually, and, and they've done this on a neurological level now to where that what they realize is this, is that your body secretes certain chemicals into your body that help change your mood. Now, I want you to think about this. What has God been trying to get you to do for thousands of years? But the Bible says lift up holy hands to worship and to praise. God's been trying to get you into an attitude of victory and an attitude of, of, of confidence and a posture of confidence your entire life by giving him praise and worship. And so I'm telling you this. If you want to be happy in life, absolutely. When you're happy, you should pray. You should praise. You should sing songs. And if you ever want to generate happiness in your life, you give God praise with your words. Somebody say amen to that. So when should you pray? You should pray when you're happy. Number three is this. When should I pray? I should pray when I'm hurting physically. Now, you know, here's what, here, here's, again, what he says. If you're in trouble, pray. If you're happy, pray. If, you, if you're sick, call other people to pray. <laughs> That's what he says. He says, call other people to pray. I want you to read the verse here with me. Is anyone among you sick? Verse 14. Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer offered in faith will make the person uh, the sick person well the lord will raise him up the word sick literally means without strength it's the idea that you are so hurt up this ain't like your common cold or you got a runny nose this is like you're sick you are laid out you know what you should do you should call other people to pray <laughs> like you should pray if you got any strength in you but above all you should call other people to pray and here i'm going to i'm going to give you a kind of a thought behind the thought the only way you can do this is by being connected to a local body of believers. You got to. You, you, this is why the Bible. Here's the reality. And people kind of dismiss this. I, I'm going I'm to jump on a group of people here. And I love you. But I'm going to let you know the truth. If you think that going from church to church to church every single week. And just kind of like bar hopping the church scene. Is a good idea. It's a terrible idea. Okay. If you think sitting at home and letting Joel Osteen soothe your soul. You know on Sunday mornings is the best way to go. Now listen. If you're not feeling good. And you want to stay at home from church. Because you don't feel good. I don't. Look, I don't want you getting everybody in here sick too. Stay at home and watch Joel that day. That's fine. But that shouldn't be a lifestyle. That shouldn't be normal. That should be the absolute exception and never the rule. Because the only way you can truly live out all the teachings of the New Testament is as if you're a part of something like this. Surrounded by other people. Like if I went through every New Testament teaching about how you interact with other people, it's impossible to do it and not be a part of a local church. And when you are hurt up physically and sick, how do you do that? If you, if you call for the pastor and call for the elders or call for people around you to come pray, how do you do that if you don't have people around you? Joel ain't coming. Okay? I'm sure he loves you. But he ain't coming. Okay? And this is why I tell people all the time, I get so mad at people sometimes. I love y'all so much, but I get mad at you because they're like, you'll, you'll come into church. I want to have seen you for three weeks. I'm like, oh, I haven't seen you. How's it going? Oh, I was, I was in the hospital. And, and you didn't let me know? Like, you're supposed to call somebody. Let somebody know. Let, let a, group, a small group pray for you. Let our prayer team pray for you. Let me come and pray for you. That, people are like, oh, well, you're, you're really busy. Well, this is what I do, people. Um, <laughs> I pray for people. That's what I'm good at, okay? I teach the Bible. I pray for people. I counsel. That's what I do. So, like, oh, you're busy. You're, I'm busy doing that, okay? And, and look, if I can't come, I'll send a prayer over the phone, and I'll let you know I can't come. But at least give me the option. 
to come. Because this is what you ought to do. And this is what it has to do with, with being a part of a local body of believers and having other people pray for you. I tell all, all the time, people come down and see me and say, will you pray for me? Absolutely. But I also want you to do this. Just go online. Go to nbchurch.tv. There's a prayer thing. And it goes into our staff. It goes into our prayer team. Don't you want lots of people praying for you? I mean, don't, I'm, look, I'm, I'm okay. All right? I'm okay. One prayer is good. That's not bad. But get, get 20 people praying for you. It's better, I promise. And so get people praying for you. It's important. It's powerful. And I want you to know this. We do believe in the power of healing today. We believe that healing is for today. That's just, I, I look at the Bible and I think, well, why not? If, if they did it, why not us? If I, I, there, there is no scripture that says that the healing is not for today or that was just for that time period. It's done and over with. So we pray, why not prayers? Now, does God always heal everybody in every situation? No. And I don't even know why. I, I, can't, I can't answer all those questions. I'll let God figure that out. And you can ask him when you get to heaven. Here's, here's what I know. I pray, why not prayers? I'm like, look, what's the worst that can happen? You already broke and tore up from the floor. I might as well pray for you. It ain't going to get worse, you know, by me praying for you. So why not? Why not give God the opportunity to move? Why not give God the opportunity to heal? Why not believe for great things in your life? And so we play, pray these big why not prayer. Why not us, God? Why not now? Why not do something miraculous? Let's see God move in the earth today. Amen. So we just believe it. We, we, so so when, you're, when you should pray, when you're hurting physically. Last one is this. Is you should pray when you are hurting spiritually. Listen to what it says here. It says, verse 16, therefore, confess your sins. That's of a spiritual nature, isn't it? Now, don't get me wrong. Sins bleed into physical and emotional. They're everywhere. But sins are of a spiritual nature. When you have sinned, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, here's what you need to know. In their day, they were a little bit superstitious and they actually would look at people who were sick or broke down or tore up and just messed up or if anything bad happened in your life, you know what they would do there? They're like, "Mm mm-hmm, you got some sin in your life. Like if you give all of a sudden, like your business went under, but mm, I wonder what you've been doing. And they always believed that bad things were connected to sin. Well, Jesus obliterates that idea. In John chapter 9, they walk up to a guy who'd been born blind. And the disciples are like, hey, who sinned? This guy or his parents? <laughs> what a terrible question, right? Here's a blind guy. And your biggest thought is, I wonder who did the sinning to get this done? That's religious thinking. Don't ever think like that. Again, get your mind into faith. Like, you know what? There's a blind person. I, let me pray for them. Let me help them. Let me do something for them. Let me bless them. Let me be generous. That should be your first thought. The disciples are boneheads still at this point in time. They're like, hmm, I wonder who sinned to bring about this guy's blindness. And Jesus replies, responds, he says, nobody sinned. Nobody sinned to bring this about. As a matter of fact, this is here just so I can show the glory of God. He heals the guy. And so uh, it's, some things just are the way they are. We don't always know why things did. But don't, don't be the, 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 the quick to judge, the quick to, I wonder who sinned. You know, like, I wonder how bad that was. Why don't we assume the best until we have no other reason to assume the best? Can we do that? Why don't we believe the best until we have no other reason to believe the best? And, and in doing so, you know what? Here's, here's what he gets to. He gets to the idea that you need to, though, confess your sins. Now, we all have sins in here. The Bible actually says that it is great and good and awesome for you to confess your sins. Now, we have weird notions about confession. I'm going to tell you why. Are you ready? Back in the day when there were, you know, kind of the dark ages, we would go to the priest and get into a body. Some of y'all are come from a Catholic background, you know what I'm talking about? You go to confessional, you go get in the box, and then you dump your sin bucket, right? Confess, and then you go back up, and you're just ready to fill up the bucket again. But um, that's, not, that's not how you want to live life, by the way. Um, but you would, in the dark ages, or in, you, would, you would go and confess to a priest. Then Freud came along and said, what? You need to confess to a counselor. 
That's who you need to confess to. Just go to a counselor, confess to them. And then Protestants came along. You know, we, we broke away from the Catholic church and said things are different. And you know what we said? We were like, we don't have to confess to nobody. <laughs> and we were all wrong. <laughs> go read the Bible. The Bible says that it is good and healthy to confess to one another. Here's, here's, here's what I mean by that. And there's two ways you apply this. Number one is this. If you wrong somebody, go own it. Go, go confess. Just go bear all. Hey, I was dumb. I was wrong. I was stupid. Please forgive me. I, I, I didn't mean to do that, and that was wrong of me, and can I make that right? That's what you ought to do. And the second way that you do this is sometimes you have personal sin. Sometimes you have hidden sin. And you know what? I'm not saying get up on a Sunday morning like, hey, everybody, I just want you to know I just got this big, you know, I don't want you to do that. I don't, I, I don't, shh, I don't want to hear that. So, what I want you to do is find one or like if you're a guy, I want you to find one or two or two or three dudes. And that could be me. That's fine. And I want you to say, hey, I want you to know I'm struggling with something. I've been doing this and I need to get it off my chest. I need to confess and I need some help. Will you pray for me? Isn't that what it says? It says, if you have sin, confess to one another and then pray for each other. Like this is the way that we journey through life. Hidden sin will destroy you from the inside out. Hidden sin, stuff that nobody knows and you'd be embarrassed to tell. I'm telling you, it's eating away at you from the inside out. It's borderline cancerous. As a matter of fact, when we think about how all of this works together, how when we're going through trouble or how we're hurting physically or how we're hurting spiritually, here's what I want you to know. Sometimes sickness is due to sin. Because if you, if you live outside of the ways of God, eventually your body will find out. Like you keep, listen to what Paul says. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but actually pray about everything. So some of you walk around with stress and anxiety and your mind gets just, are y'all like this? You ever have a fear and then in your mind you just rehearse it over and over and over and you play out worst case scenarios and oh my God, and oh my God, and you do all that. Again, science is catching up to the Bible. You know what they're proving now? Is that if you really want to be healthy in life, yeah, eat good, you know, go organic, exercise, that, that's totally good. I'm 100% for that. You ought to do that. That's good for you. But you know what actually is the, is the greatest generator of health that you can possibly have? It's in two areas. And some of you need to write this down. Number one is this is your thought life. Your thought life and the types of thoughts that you have. Some of you are so fear-based or stress-based or worry-based or bitter in your thoughts or negative in your thinking. And what they've gone on to show is this, is that where your thought life goes, your health goes. Number two is this. Your health is greatly dictated by the quality of relationships that you have. It is good to be in fellowship with other people that are full of faith, that are loving you, believing the best, and praying for you. And I'm telling you, when you start getting your thought life lined up with God's thought life, and you start getting your relationships surrounded by good, healthy, loving, kind, faith-building people, I'm telling you, your life is going to take off. And so there's no doubt that there is a sin element to what goes on here. And, and, and that's the way you want to live life is sin-free. You want to confess those sins, get rid of those hidden sins, and get those off of your chest. Pray for one another and in doing so you will be healed i'm not saying this that's just what james is saying james is saying this stuff and so again when should you pray when you're hurting when should you pray when you're happy when should you pray when you're sick when when should you pray when you've got sin in your life you know you, you know what you should do you should pray about that and then listen to what he does here we're going to begin to close down right now listen to what he does he moves into an illustration from the Old Testament. You got to remember, these people knew the Hebrew Bible really, really well. And he goes this. This is verse 17. Remember, Elijah was a human being just like you. 
He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Now, I wish he were here. We need some rain. Uh, Verse 18, again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now, you got to remember, these people knew the Hebrew Bible very, very well. What this references is an old school story, kind of back in 1 Kings 18. And what he's really doing is this. He's basically saying, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking you're not good enough to pray. You're thinking you're not holy enough to pray. You're thinking it's not, you don't, you don't, you're not smart enough. You're not spiritual enough. You're not a man of God, a woman of God. You, you're thinking you don't have what it takes to pray. I know that's what you're thinking. But remember this. Elijah was a dude, a human being, just like, he was normal, just like you. As a matter of fact, the, the, the story that he's referencing is funny. And here's why it's funny. It's because he has a great victory, but then he freaks out. <laughs> Jezebel, this, the queen, Jezebel's like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to chase you down and I'm going to feed your body the dogs. And she gets all in her rant and rave. And Elijah freaks out, gets afraid, gets depressed. He gets suicidal. He's like, God, just take my life. I don't want to live anymore. He deals with worry and stress and fear. And it's all compressed in about six, six verses in chapter 19 of 1 Kings. And all of you are like, that's me. <laughs> I'm stressed. I'm afraid. I'm worried. I have problems. Sometimes I'm like, God, take my life. I'd just rather go to heaven. You ever been so sick? Hugging the toilet bulb like, God, just take me. I've been there before, man. Nothing worse. He never did. I'm still here. But um, yeah, you're so sick. You're like, God, take me. I just don't want to feel this no more. And so anyway, some of y'all actually have real issues that, you know, anyway, I'm, I'm apparently a pansy about this stuff. So my point is this. The point is, is that he illustrates that Elijah was a normal. He's a regular person, but he prayed. And if you think, I don't know that I've got too much sin to pray, you've got too much sin not to pray. I mean, like, you should just go for it. What's it going to hurt? It ain't going to make anything worse. I'm telling you, pray, go for it, pray. When you're sick, pray. When you're happy, pray. When other people are jacked up, pray. There is something powerful about prayer. And here's what I want to do. The Bible says, and this was a few verses earlier, he said this. It said that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Everybody say effective. Now, here's what I know about you. If you pray, you want your prayers to be effective, right? Can I get a what, what? Yeah, you want them to be effective. You don't want to pray and be talking to the wall. That feels weird. You don't want to pray and nothing happened. You want your prayers to be effective. Let's go back and we're going to look at the book of James. How do you make your prayers effective? How do you make them powerful? Number one is this. You must ask. Uh, you're like, wow, that's deep. I know. You, you Listen to what James says here. Go back to chapter 1 of James and he says this. He says, you have not because you ask not. We could get, there we go. You, actually, this is, this is NIV, so it says it fancier now or more normal. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. Like some of you don't realize this. But the reason why there is lack or less in your life is simply because you never actually ask God. Now, some of you don't ask God because you don't think you're worthy of it. But you don't know that you're a son or a daughter of the Most High God, and that God would love to bless your life. So some of you don't ask. Some of you don't ask because you think, well, I'm just too busy, and my life gets hectic, and my life gets scheduled, and I'm too busy to pray. Listen to me. You're too busy not to pray. If your life is so stressed out, you need to pray even more people that got time on their hands. 
So you don't actually have good things and God things going on in your life simply because you have never carved out a time to say, God, I just want to commune with you. I want to talk with you and I want to be quiet and then listen for something. And then I want to read the scriptures and see if you'll speak to me from those. And I just want to have this carved out moment where I spend time with you. And some of you lack things in your life simply because you do not ask. Number two is this. um, How do you pray effectively? I must have the right motives before you ask for anything. This is how Jesus did it. If you remember, Jesus said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what he was putting in there? He was lacing in this idea of this. Before you ask for anything, I want you to think God's will first. Right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. He hadn't asked for daily bread yet or help for temptation or any of the stuff that comes later in the prayer. He was saying this. Before you ask for anything, always check your motives. Because if I'm, listen to what James says. This is how James breaks it down. He's even more, he's like direct and to the point about it. He says, when you ask, you don't actually get anything because you ask with wrong motives. Isn't James different than Jesus? Jesus is all like, yeah, I'm going to just slip this in on you. He's like, no, you're wrong. Do this. Don't do that. And so he says, the reason why you don't actually get anything in life because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. He's like, before you ask, and you need to ask, but before you ask for anything, check your motives. Make sure that your heart is pure, that you're not in this greed mode or this pride mode or this self mode and just always wanting you, 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 and that's what I want. Be careful of your motives. Number three is this. I must have a pure life. Yeah, there is something to living before God. As a matter of fact, listen to what verse 16 said. Let's read it again. The prayer of a, everybody say righteous. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It doesn't say random, folks. This is a righteous person. And righteousness does not mean that you are perfect. Righteousness does not mean that you never make mistakes and you're this flawless, super holier-than-thou person. That's not what that means. What righteousness means is that I am in right standing with God. Meaning like when I sin, I take it to God. And when I do something wrong, I ask for forgiveness. And I actually put God as, as a priority and the priority of my life. That's it. it doesn't mean perfection. It means I'm in right standing with God because I've put God in the right standing in my life. That's where you ought to be. So absolutely there's something to having God in your life. Imagine this. Imagine a parent or set of parents with two kids. And one of them, they're not perfect. But, you know, they try to do well and they try to show up at school and they try to get good grades or they try, they're making efforts. They're trying and they're not wiling out and they're not like, you know, disrespectful and rude to their mom and dad, but they're not perfect. And you got this other kid that's just absolutely bananas, just, you know, doesn't care about their mom, disrespects their dad, doesn't do anything like. And then all of a sudden they both come to the parents and ask for some help or ask for a handout or ask for. Well, what do you, what would you do as a parent? At some point, you got to say, no, get your act together. Act like you got some sense. Don't be wilding out and be pure crazy. At least make an effort to be in a right standing with us and have us in the right place in your life. Does that make sense? But some of us live completely void of God's influence in our life. We completely disregard his commands, his ways. We don't care. We ignore them. We reject them. And he has no standing in our life. And then we would wonder. I wonder why God doesn't answer my prayers. I'm just you don't have you don't need perfection. Elijah wasn't perfect. Clearly, he was a little screwy at times. But he at least was praying. He at least made an effort. He at least was trying to be in right standing with God. Somebody say, all right. Number four and final one is this. How do I pray effectively? I must ask in faith. I must ask 
in faith. Last scripture, we're going to close here. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. I mean, put it like this. If if you're praying and then at the heels of your prayer, you're like, this will never work. God won't answer. You know, if if that's where your mind is, God's like, what? Really? You're talking to me and then you're like, but he won't do it. You know, I mean, like he said, there's an element of faith. Here's what you need to know. I hope hope this makes some sense to you. Faith is the currency of heaven. Faith is the currency of heaven. Now, let's say you go over to the 7-Eleven on your way out of town and you want to go get you a Twinkie. And you walk up to that dude at the, at the register and you say, hey, here's a Twinkie. And he goes, that'll be a $1.50. But like, you know what? I believe. I believe today that that Twinkie is mine. He's going to think you're a fool. And he's going to say, that's great, my friend, but I still need a $1.50. Because the currency of earth is money. Okay? When you come to your heavenly father, you can't buy a miracle. You can't be like, all right, how much is it going to take today, God? God don't care about your money. He cares about you being generous. It'll change you from the inside out as you change others from the the outside in. He cares about your generosity, but your money is no good in heaven. Streets are made of gold. Like he cares about your money. What is the currency of heaven? It's faith. It's coming before God. The Bible says to boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence. God, I believe that you are able. God, I believe that you can. I believe that you're for me. I believe that you're with me. God, I believe that you want to do great things in my life. And when you have that level of confidence, and where does that come from? It comes from knowing who you are and knowing whose you are because you have spent time in the presence of God. Do you see how it all connects? God wants you to have a carved out intentional moment where you pray, where you spend time with God, where you, you, you're known by him. You just kind of open up and tell him whatever it is, what you thought, what you felt. Women, y'all already do this anyway. We walk in the doors. Husbands, we're... Whew, okay, go tell God that stuff too, okay? Maybe that'll relieve us, guys, right? Amen, amen. Anyway, guys, y'all are not helping me out here. Um, uh, they're sitting next to their wives. Okay, that's fair. Um, I didn't think about that, sorry. God wants you to have these moments of time. So James, this is what James says. James says, look, when you're in trouble, pray. When things are good, Pray. When you're sick, get other people to pray. When you got sin, confess your sin and then pray for each other. Get into the habit and the mindset of prayer. I'm telling you, nothing is outside of the power of prayer except for that which is outside of his will and his plan for your life. So if it's even remotely close to his plan, pray. Pray in faith. Pray with a pure motive. Ask and let God do something great in your life. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me today? Real quick, how many of you want God to show up and do great things in your life? You want God to answer some prayers. You, you want to see God's presence move in your life. You want to see his strength and his help. I don't know that anybody in here is like rejecting that idea. We all do. And so what I want you today is to, to make a confession. Say, God, I want, to, I want to have a better prayer life. I want to have moments and times. And here's, here's, here's again the most practical way that you can do it. You need to get into your day planner. You need to get into your iPhone calendar, whatever you got. You need to begin to plan. Specific, carved out, set aside, focused, and intentional time. 
It could be just 10 minutes in the morning. It could be 10, 15 minutes before you close your, your, your eyes at night. I, I, don't, I don't know when it is for you. Some people are morning people. Some people are late, late nighters. I, I don't care. I want you to find time with God. I want you to find a time where you open up your Bible and say, God, I want you to speak to me as I open up these holy pages. God, get, teach me things. Show me things. Reveal things to me. Get, get a reading plan for the Bible. Have a, a focused time of prayer. For some of you, Having a, having a prayer journal is powerful for you because you write stuff and you're such good writers. Have a prayer journal. For some of you guys, and maybe, maybe you got the attention span of a goldfish, and I understand what that's like, and maybe you don't, you're like, I can't, I can't sit still for 10 minutes. That's crazy. Then listen, find five minutes. Do something. Make a motion. Make a movement towards God. I promise you will never, ever, ever regret the moments and the times that you spend with your Heavenly Father. He wants to help you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to do great things in your life. So, Father, we welcome you today, God, and we ask you to give us a passion for prayer. God, give us a discipline for prayer. Give us, God, that mind to pray that when we're in trouble, we don't just get into negative and complaining and blaming. Our first thought is to go to prayer. When things are good, we won't forget about you. We'll go to prayer and we'll give you the praise that you are due. God, when we're sick, we'll call people to pray. God, when we're sinful, then God, we'll pray and ask for your help in that area too, God. Let us always seek you first in everything that we do, Lord. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And if you believe that, give me your best amen today. Amen. amen. Can you give the Lord a big hand clap this morning?